0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. My name's Donald Thomas. I know many of you. I don't know all of you, um, and I look forward to getting to know uh, all of you much, much better. Um, My wife and I have had many connections over the years with Abner Creek in some way or another for about nine years now, Um, and I'm deeply grateful for this church's influence upon uh, my life upon my family's life. So thank you for welcoming us back today and allowing, us to, allowing me to preach this morning. So let me just say this. I've been so encouraged as I've listened over the last couple of months from a distance, uh, the various speakers that you've had preaching on Sunday mornings. A common theme that I've, I've heard from each of the men has been just overwhelming love, adoration, Thankfulness for Abner Creek Baptist Church. I've just, I've I've heard uh, men like Greg Mathis and Jed Stevens and Matt Hall um, just express how much Abner Creek means to them, and that has been so encouraging for me to hear. Because you think about it, that is, that's fruit right before your eyes from Abner Creek. A commitment to discipleship, a commitment to allowing young guys to come and to grow in ministry, to try on spiritual gifts, if you will um, and and to hear guys come back um, and and testify to this church's uh, commitment uh, to discipleship it, that has been encouraging to me as, as I've heard these men uh, speak, so whether it's as those men or, or countless other. Uh, men and women that I don't know who have been influenced by Abner Creek. uh, I just say uh, press on church. That is uh, praise to God for his fruitful work being seen here through your ministry. So press on in that. Great discipleship has taken place here. I'm convinced primarily because this church is committed to gospel preaching and Over the years, I've seen it. Over the years, I've come to know Abner Creek Baptist Church as a church where biblical preaching is central. You are serious about biblical proclamation. And that is what I love most about this church. So that's where we turn now to hear from God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help as we do. Oh, Father, what a wonderful song it is to sing, Jesus, we love you, we ever adore you. There is, there's no shame from us in saying that, yes, we follow Jesus and we seek to obey, obey Jesus, but above all, we adore Jesus and we worship him. He is, our, he is our God. Lord, thank you that you have given us a word from you telling us what you're like, telling us what we are like, telling us of our need of a Savior, changing us through your word. And so I pray as we open your word now that, that you will be Lord over this time, that, that I will sink into the background and your word will go forth boldly, that it will convict where it needs to convict, that it will encourage where it needs to encourage. all right, I think of some that that I've just heard of recently who are, are grieving in this congregation because of the passing of loved ones. Lord, I pray that the news of the gospel that is spoken of today will be a great reminder of the hope that we have in Christ to these individuals. So strengthen us, open our eyes so that we can see your glory and be changed as a result. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's perfect and holy word to Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Luke 5, beginning in verse 12. This morning I want to consider two encounters that Jesus has with two individuals. Now, I love preaching on the life of Jesus. It's probably my favorite category in all the Bible to preach. And I think the reason for that is this. The life of Jesus shows us most clearly... What the nature of God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at the life and words of Jesus, because Jesus is God. God did not leave it up to our imagination as to what He is like. God, in His kindness, has written a book, and then He came and He, he walked among us, showing us exactly what He is like. Jesus in the flesh is God in the flesh. And so when we see encounters in the life of Jesus, like we will from Luke chapter 5 this morning, we see people not just encountering a man Jesus, although they do, we see people encountering God himself. And we see what he's like. And we're encouraged by it. And that's exciting. To see the face of God in the, the words of Scripture. So let's take these stories one at a time. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, speaking of Jesus, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We see in the first encounter here a man that is full of leprosy come and approach approach Jesus. And to fully understand and fully appreciate the weight of what's happening here, we have to understand the significance of this issue of leprosy in, in, in this day and age. Leprosy was a general term used to describe many different skin irritations, skin diseases, in fact, the, the scribes of that time listed around 70, 75 different skin diseases that would be categorized under the umbrella of leprosy. It was a serious condition because of obvious health concerns, but also because of social ramifications. People diagnosed with leprosy were considered as outcasts. It was a serious threat because of the possible... Spreading of these diseases among the community. And so, and so God gave the community very specific instructions as to how to handle a person who was diagnosed with a leprous disease. Listen to what God said in Leviticus about someone who, is, who has leprosy. This is Leviticus 13. It says, When a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white and there is raw flesh in the swelling, it is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. And so for hundreds and hundreds of years, all sorts of people developed all types of different leprosy, skin irritations, and all of them had the same fate. They would go to the priest, he would declare them as unclean, and they would be quarantined from the rest of society. And looked down upon because of this condition. It became their identity. It's just who they became a person with leprosy. When I was in high school, when I was a freshman in high school, I developed a, a large cyst on the side of my, my left cheek. It became quite noticeable quite large. It didn't make life any easier for a high school boy. So imagine, if you can, a high school boy, 140 pounds, soaking wet, face spotted with acne and peach fuzz, crackling voice, which I still have for some reason. And now this huge cyst hanging on the side of my face, like the size of a grape. So I go to the doctor and... He says, it's not a big deal. We can remove it, which I still have a scar from. We can remove it. A couple of days, it'll be back to normal. No big deal. But the problem is, we we can't fit you in for another week or so. And so I had to endure the uh, agony of going to school with this big lump hanging on my, my face. Collier and I did not start dating during that time. Some people would be subtle at school, like have you ever have you ever been talking to someone and you can tell they're not looking in your eyes but they're looking at something else and they're distracted by it, all right? But other people like my friends would be a lot more just blunt and be like, "Man, like what is on the side of your face? That is gross." And just call me out in front of people. I felt Dirty, like an outcast. Like I, I would sit with my hand on my desk covering my, my cheek so that hopefully nobody would look. It, it just felt shameful in compared to everyone else. But after a week or so, I got it removed. Everything went back to normal and it was forgotten about. But for, the, for the, the person with leprosy, and this time, the priest would not just declare him as having a skin irritation, like, oh, no big deal, we can take care of it in a week or so. No, for this person... It would, he would be declared himself as fully unclean and defiled. Everyone would consider him like that as well. The whole community would look down upon this person and say, he's not just dealing with something, this person is unclean. Stay away from him. So just being declared as unclean by the priest would have been devastating enough, but it brought many hardships on your life as well. It, it radically changed your life. Everything changed for the, perp- for the person who had leprosy. Listen to again Leviticus chapter 13 of what happens with the leprous person. The leprous person who has the disease shall wore, wear torn clothes and let his hair hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. This is serious. These lepers couldn't just stay inside their homes until you know, things blew over. No, they had to make it abundantly clear that they had this disease. They had to tear their clothing. They had to let their hair hang long. They had to, if they were a man, they had to let their beard grow out and all the while looking this disheveled maybe walking around they had to cry out about themselves unclean i'm an unclean person how how embarrassing is that and shameful but the worst verdict for the leprous was being put outside of the camp So remember in this time these these are communities that are largely protected by the gathered community inside of of gated cities. To be outside of the city gates you enter into the wilderness where it's dark and uninhabited and, and desolate where wild beasts live and society's worst outcasts live. This is where sinful Infatuations, fester, and dreadful, contagious diseases are just recycled over and over. Putting someone outside the camp was necessary to protect those people inside the community. But it was often a a deadly verdict for the person put outside the camp. So just imagine you wake up one morning and your daughter or your son begins to have these swellings on their skin. And you automatically know what must happen. That they are to be put outside of the camp. Just imagining that scenario gives us a better idea of of this condition of leprosy. It wasn't a common cold as no big deal to be forgotten. The one diagnosed with leprosy had his whole life changed. And so when we read in Luke, there came a man full of leprosy. The stakes get a little higher, right? Like, what is Jesus going to do with, with this person? And it's it's not just one sore. Notice verse twelve says this man can, is full of leprosy, like all over his body, sores festering. And when the leper sees Jesus, immediately he falls down before him in submission. He's not going to attack Jesus. He's not looking to touch Jesus. He just he just falls down and begs Jesus to heal him. And what does Jesus do? Specifically, what does Jesus do in the text? So if I'm walking downtown Greenville or downtown Spartanburg, and I'm in an alley, and, and I see a wanderer coming, and he has torn clothes, he's got long, straggly hair and beard, He's got sores festering over his body and he's crying out, unclean, unclean, unclean. There's a good chance that I'm crossing the street. I'm certainly not going to reach out and touch the person. But watch Jesus in our text. Don't miss the compassion of our Savior. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now surely some people are around and they're watching the situation. Surely Jesus' disciples are with him. They know the threat of a leprous person and the possibility of of, of catching this disease yourself. And surely when they see Jesus reach out to touch a person, surely someone says, wait! Wait! Don't touch a person like that. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing? They know the law, Numbers 19, And whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And anyone who touches it shall be unclean. So what is Jesus doing? Doesn't, doesn't Jesus know the risk of touching someone like this? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is showing us what kind of Savior he is. Do you remember when Jesus touched you? In your shame, in your dirtiness, in in your regrets... This is the Savior that perhaps some of you may need to meet still. This is, for, this is the Savior that no doubt some of your friends and your family members still need to meet. The Savior that has the authority to reach out and to make you clean. And I'm not just talking about an outward appearance of clean, I'm talking about an inner wholeness where Jesus restores the broken. And see, for, for some of you, for some of the people that you know, all of your life, you may not have had leprosy, but you know the feeling of being the outcast, the one that's been declared as unclean. People have told you how dirty you are, how much a mess your life is, how your cleanliness has been determined by what you have done, what you have not done, what you stay away from, what you indulge in. If you go here or go there, if you listen to this or watch that, if you watch that, hang around this or hang around that and you're declared dirty and forbidden and shameful and for years people close to you maybe even family members with good intentions have examined all sorts of outward appearances of your life and have looked upon you and had disassociated themselves from you and had declared you as unclean looking at you and cringing and so, what do we do? Like, what do we do when someone looks at our outward appearances and they cringe at us? We, we try our best to clean up, right? And so, we, we come through the church doors and we, we put on our Sunday best. And we, we button up and we powder our noses. And we, we put on our smile. And we, we try to clean up without ever examining the heart. Only caring about the outside. Like... like The living room looks great for the guests, but we all know the master bedroom's a mess. And Jesus wants to get past the superficial, he wants to get past the surface issues, and he wants to get where the mess is real to the root of our hearts. See, the difference between the leper and many today is his uncleanliness was worn literally on his skin. And oftentimes we humans do a really good job of covering that up. And you know the feeling of covering up dirtiness. Whether it's a, a constant switching of sexual relationships or this, this endless cycle that you get caught into of always doing the sin one more time and then you, you promise God, God, this is the, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Like, after this, it's over. Like, this is the last time. And then you feel the dirtiness of, of falling into it once again. And then feeling the shame and, and the regret. You may not know what it's like to be full of leprosy. But as an individual, apart from Christ, and in reality, we're just like the leper on the inside, having a pile of uncleanness to bring before Jesus. And this is where the news of this text is really good news. Whereas everyone else has looked down upon you or disassociated themselves from you, those are the type of people Jesus reaches out and touches. The outsiders, the outcasts, the the the, shunned, the shameful, the cyclical sinners. He doesn't shun them or cast them out. He reaches out and he touches them. He touches us in our, in our filth. And it's not because Jesus is okay with our sin. Jesus is not okay with our sin. It's because Jesus desires to make you clean. And notice, if, if others touch the leper, immediately they too become unclean themselves. But notice what happens in the text. Jesus touches him and Jesus doesn't become unclean. But instead the leper becomes clean. Immediately the text says. This is what, this is what Jesus does. This is the good news of the gospel. Because we all are in our sin have this just sinful heart and rebellion against God. But the good news is that Jesus has the power to rescue us from it, to reach out and touch and to make us clean. No one is too dirty or too polluted or too far gone to be redeemed. Jesus' purifying touch instantly washes away the stains of the sin and the guilt and the shame. Jesus' purity to cleanse is more powerful than our filthiness is to contaminate. This is the news that perhaps some of you need to hear. This is the news that our friends and family need to hear. That they can come and fall before Jesus as the leper. And Jesus can make them clean. Spotless. So Jesus touches the man, he becomes clean, and Jesus keeps Old Testament law by sending him to be examined by the priest. And naturally after such event, after such an event, where the text tells us that Jesus' popularity continued to grow. Everyone was wondering, who in the world is that guy? In the first story, we see Jesus address a man with leprosy, a serious condition that separates man from everyone else. In this second story that we're about to see, we see Jesus address an even more serious issue. Like, what's more serious than having leprosy and being outcast from everyone else? Jesus addresses an even even more serious issue. One that doesn't alienate you from other people, but one that alienates you from God. He authoritatively heals the first man, how will he handle the second? Look at with me in verse 17, chapter 5. And on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now Paul's right there and immediately notice the change of audience. No doubt, Jesus had this massive crowd still around him after all the miracles. But specifically in this case, the room is full of religious leaders. The teachers, the scribes, the ones who handled the word of God. They're listening and watching Jesus. And and not just the leaders of that specific town. The text says that these leaders and religious leaders have come from, from, from all the regions surrounding and they're now packing out this house, listening to this man named Jesus. They see his popularity growing. They, they want to know, who is this person? Is he a threat? Continue in verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So imagine the scene here. They're in someone's house. Jesus is teaching to a packed out crowd, to the religious leaders. It's so crowded that these men bring their friend to be healed. They try to go through the front door and they just they, they can't get in. So they try to go maybe to the back and can't get in. They try to go through the windows and can't get in, and so what's the next logical conclusion? We all have a friend like this, right? Let's just, let's just blow it up, right? Let's, let's smoke them out, right? Let's go on the roof and tear a big hole in the roof and lower them down right in front of Jesus, WWE style, right? Who does that? These men were determined to get their friend to Jesus. And what an amazing demonstration of faith. Like we're going to do whatever it takes to get our friend in the lap of Jesus. Because we believe he can heal him. And just as a side note here. I wonder what lengths we are willing to go to. To get our friends and bring them before the lap of Jesus. So they, they lower this man in right in front of Jesus and look at verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now why in the world would Jesus say that? Like, no one mentioned anything about sin. I mean, don't we expect Jesus to say, man, get up and walk? I mean, that is why he came. He wanted to be healed by Jesus. He wanted his legs to start moving. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Like, what is he doing? No, no one's talking about forgiveness. He did not ask for forgiveness. Why would Jesus say that? Notice the reaction of those sitting around. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knows who's in the room. He knows who's in the room when he says, your sins are forgiven. It's the people who can get him killed. The people who will eventually get him killed. He should... He should tread carefully here, right? The religious leaders began to think in their minds, who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sin. And this guy has the audacity to claim such authority right in front of us. He is committing high-degree blasphemy here. Who does he think he is? And, And if you're like me, I'm thinking, be careful, Jesus. These are the guys who can get you killed. And Jesus' response shows his complete sovereignty over the situation, complete sovereignty over his path of death. Jesus says, I lay down my life on my own accord. No one takes my life from me. Like, when these guys come, they're only going to capture and kill me when I'm ready for them to. And this is why... Like, I love this aspect of Jesus. He, he doesn't just poke them with a jarring statement, like, gotcha, and walk off. Like, no, Jesus, he sticks the knife in, and he turns it. Look at verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? See, they're questioning Jesus in their minds. They haven't said anything verbal yet. They're just thinking, who in the world does he think he is committing these blasphemies? And Jesus could have let them wonder. Like, he could have just seen the thought in their mind and just let it go. Like, smooth it out. Don't cause any ripples here, Jesus. But instead, Jesus goes on the attack. He's already shocked them by claiming to have authority to, for, like God to forgive the man's sin. But now he goes further by reading their hearts and minds, which only God can do too. So he forgives like God, he reads their minds and hearts like God, and he calls them out. Verse 22, why do you question in your hearts? These religious leaders surely are staggered. Like they're on the ropes, their jaws are on the floor. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who he's talking to. And this is what gets him killed. He pushes in. Why do you question in your hearts who can forgive sin? Look at verse 23. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Answer me, religious leaders. Jesus, he breaks it down for them. It's easier to say, your sins are forgiven in front of everyone, because no one can verify whether or not it actually happened. See, if, if Jesus said, man, get up and walk, immediately everybody would have been able to see if he actually had the power to pull that off. But it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one has to verify whether or not he actually can do it. And Jesus says, why are you guys questioning this? And he has has one last blow for these religious leaders. Verse 24 through 26. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with all saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So it was easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one had to prove it. But that's not a problem for Jesus. Like, so what if he has to prove it? So he tells the man, get up, walk, and go home. In essence, Jesus performs the harder task that had to be verified by everyone to prove that forgiving the man's sin wasn't an issue at all for him. If he could perform the harder one of making him walk, it's no big deal to forgive his sin. And it's here in verse 24 that Jesus' main point comes out. Look in your text at verse 24. This is the the bottom line. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. The bottom line, Jesus can forgive this man's sin because he has the absolute authority to do it. The religious leaders are saying, uh, who is this committing blasphemy? And Jesus just says, you know what? You're right, only God can forgive sin. And I'm telling you, I have the authority to forgive sin. And I'll let you connect the dots. So Jesus forgives sin like God. He reads their hearts and, and thoughts like God. He heals the man in the power of God. He calls himself the son of man, which is actually referring to himself as God and He has, He does all of this because He has absolute authority to do it. This is the G, this is Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible. And see, at some point in our hearts and minds, Jesus has to go from earthly teacher to divine Son of God. He has to go from historical figure to the author of history. He has to go from a means to a better life to becoming our lives. From being a, simply a supplier to being a savior. This Jesus will not settle to clean up your life, to clean up your mess, to make you clean without dealing with the sin in our hearts. Jesus will not be a resource where we simply use him to get our legs back, to be made clean, to get a better life, to be a better income to better job jesus will not be the resource to be a better anything for us jesus will not be our genie this is the jesus of the scriptures who made us he made us to worship him not him worship us and yes jesus can clean up our lives he can clean up our mess but more importantly jesus can make you forgiven who has that power See, the, the paralytic came to be healed. But Jesus made a point to say, you have a much larger problem than paralysis. You have a problem of sin. And because of your faith, it is forgiven. And this is where most, let's be honest, this is where most of the culture and society, they, they get off the Jesus train, all right? We love a Jesus who can clean clean us up, clean our leprosy, but don't talk about a Jesus that addresses my sin. See, the religious leaders in the room were offended because Jesus claimed to be God, having authority to forgive sin. And brothers and sisters, I'll just offer this to you. At least they considered it an issue. Like today, maybe we've taken a step back. If that were to happen today and Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven, the offense wouldn't be so much, who are you to forgive sin? The offense would be, who are you to say he's a sinner? We are largely a people in society who are fine with Jesus giving us what we want, but we have, lost, have we lost sight of the Jesus of the Bible who will give us what we need? Not a supplier, but a savior. This is... This is the offense of the cross. This is the offense of Christianity. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. On the cross, Jesus paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. He paid for your neighbor's sin. He paid for anyone who would be willing to trust in him as Lord and Savior. And so at some point, out of our love, out of our love and compassion for our friends and our neighbors, we must... Cross the bridge from saying, Jesus is a great person, he's, you know, he's a great figure. We must cross the bridge and saying, Jesus is a great savior of your sin. And my sin. And this is, this is not self-righteous or a condemning word. This is one writer put it. One beggar leading another beggar to how to find bread. The gospel is only good news if we first realize the bad news of our sinful hearts. Like a feast only looks good to the hungry. Like we, as Christians, care about. Like, Jesus cared about the leprosy. He made him clean. Jesus cared about the paralytic. He made him walk. But Jesus cares more importantly about the issue of our heart, the, the of our heart, and making us right with God. John Piper puts it like this. We as Christians care about all sorts of suffering, especially eternal suffering. All right? So let's, let's care for the orphans and the widows and the hungry and the thirsty. Absolutely. But most importantly, let's Tell people of a Savior that can rescue them from their sin. So that we will not lead people to earthly comforts without providing them with eternal security. Friends, your biggest need today, my biggest need today is to be right with God. And I I would ask you very bluntly. Are you right with God? Have there, has there ever been a time in your life where you've raised your hand and said, "You know what, God, I am a sinner, like rebellious in my heart." Like I've, I've gone my own own way. Here's, here's the really scary news of rejecting the gospel. The scary news of the person who rejects the gospel will stand before God one day and God in His holiness and God in His perfection will look upon a sinner and He will condemn that sinner in judgment and it will not be unfair. But may our message not stop there. (laughs) The whole good news of this book, the whole good news of the cross and Christianity is that the, the, the story does not stop there This is where the truth of this text changes all of that. It's the greatest news in the world that if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross and resurrection, that when you stand before God one day, God will not look down upon you in condemnation, but God will look upon you and He will see the righteousness of Christ flowing all over you and He will say, this is my child. Like, that's the greatest news in all the world. Like, how could we ever keep ourselves from sharing that with people to say, yes, that we are sinners, but there is a more powerful Savior that can lift us up and bring us to God as His child. Like, that is the gospel. Like, that is the greatest news in all the world. This is the Savior that we, that we serve. So church... For those who have placed trust in Christ, look forward to the day that when you come and you're standing before the Father and and your brother, Jesus, walks before you and you wrap your arms around him, you will will feel the scars on his back that he took for you. And when you hold his hands, you will feel the holes where he took the nails. And when you hear his voice, you will hear him say, I am the good shepherd, for you, my sheep, I have died. This is the great news that Jesus can make us clean, but more importantly, Jesus can make us forgiven. So, what do you believe about this man, Jesus Christ? Are there any lepers in the room today? Come, and you can be clean. Are there any sinners in the room? Come, and you can be forgiven. There is a feast waiting for the hungry. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a merciful God. You are so kind to to give us your word that tells of your greatness and your glory. Tells of our sinfulness and our shame. But tells of the mighty figure of Jesus Christ who has come and has taken our shame. Has taken our guilt. He's taken the wrath of you to pay for our sin. And he has given us eternal life. Lord, as as we worship you, I I pray that we will worship you. And your grandeur and all of your holiness that you are. That we will sing as sinners who have been redeemed. Who have been adopted by you as children. Lead us in that worship. Help us to worship with genuine hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite you to, as uh, we have just a moment of reflection here, uh, to consider what the Lord has for you today. Maybe for you, today is the day that you need to repent of your sins and turn and trust in Christ for the first time. I I would love to talk to you about that. Matt will be here. I'd love to talk to you. About that. There are many in here who would love to talk to you about that. If the Lord is leading you to do that, make that step. Others in, who are just, you know, maybe, maybe you are feeling the, the burden of the outcast and, you know, you needed today to be reminded that Jesus has forgiven you and His cross and His death and resurrection. It was enough. Maybe today your response is just to worship Him in adoration. Whatever the response is, let's be obedient to the Lord in this time.